Hello and welcome to another episode of the I'm Learning Mandarin podcast. So many listeners of this podcast are people like me who get a lot of joy and gratification from the language learning process. However, it's also worth being aware that there's certain psychological pitfalls which those of us, particularly those of us who have been learning Chinese intensively or gone through periods when that's been the case, commonly fall into. So on my podcast today, I discuss this issue with two friends who've both experienced the ups and downs of Mandarin learning. Carl Baker is a language app programmer who's appeared on this podcast before, and Esther Spearing is a UXP designer who's currently on a secondment from work during which she's self-studying Mandarin intensively. So we talk about dealing with comments and judgments from native speakers, coping with moments when we've failed to live up to our expectations of ourselves, and many other psychological issues that Mandarin learners commonly face. So if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or on imlearningmandarin.com to have new blogs and podcasts pinged straight to your email. Okay, so welcome everyone to this edition of the podcast. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about a really interesting topic, which is uh, mental health and language, language learning affects mental health and relationship between mental health and language learning in general. So I wanted to uh, talk about this with two guests who I've actually spoken about this topic with in the past, uh, two friends of mine. One is Esther and the other is Carl. Carl is not new to the podcast, but Esther, this is your first time. So you, do you want to briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, um, very exciting. So yeah, so I'm Esther. I've been learning Chinese for about a year and a half now. I'm really enjoying it. But I think it's a really interesting topic about mental health and language learning, so I'm really um, looking forward to having a chat about that. Yeah, and thank you for having me on. No worries. And you're currently on a secondment in Holland. Uh, you've taken three months off work, is that right? Yeah, three months off work to do some, to really indulge in some language learning. Basically, I've got two versions of what I tell people. All my colleagues that I don't know <laughs> that well, they're like, oh, you've got three months off. What are you going to do? And then I say, oh, I'm just going to relax a bit and like chill out. And then all my actual friends and family, I say, I'm going to learn as much Chinese as I can every day. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I, know, I know that they know um, about my hobby. So, yeah, that's what I've um, taken it for, really. Absolutely. And one of the themes that's going to be running through our discussion today is particularly mental health and language learning, but in the context of learning language languages really intensively. And I think all three of us have had experiences at one point or another of, of learning Chinese like really intensively where you're spending most of the day. I remember in lockdown, that was my situation, um, spending most of every day kind of doing that, like where it became more like a, you might say, a vocation rather than just a, a hobby. Carl, briefly, uh, would you like to remind people, you've been on this podcast before, but briefly introduce yourself again. Hi, so I'm Carl. I've been learning Chinese for about two years now. And uh, it's good to join you again. Now, I wanted to start on a positive note, because when we talk about mental health and language learning, the first thing that comes to people's minds might be the negative effects of language learning on mental health in terms of when you're learning very intensively, it can, t it can be a bit of a strain on your mental health. And we'll get into that later. But first of all, Esther, you were mentioning just before we pressed record about the some of the benefits, some of the positives of um, language learning and how it can have a really positive impact on uh, your mental health. I, I've certainly experienced that as well, but I was wondering if you wanted to expand a bit more on how that's played a role in your in your life. Yeah, sure. Um, I think I took up 
Chinese again, kind of in, well, in lockdown. So I guess everything was being a bit weird then anyway. And then I also, there was just like various bits and pieces going on in my personal life. And I kind of felt like I was really looking for something to distract me a bit. And I started off with Duolingo. I know, I know you've dissected <laughs> Duolingo already on this podcast, but it was a really fun way, obviously, to get back into learning Chinese. And yeah, after that, I took it up more and more intensively because I just realized I was enjoying it so much. I was meeting new people as well. And there's just a lot of satisfaction in spending time. The time that I used to spend watching television or doing stuff that wasn't actually particularly productive I or scrolling social media like I changed that into language learning to start with and that just made me feel better about myself um, and yeah yeah I think it's interesting how Esther you said that you took the time that you were you would have been just watching scrolling social media and you converted it into actual productive time of learning a language and I think that that's one of the really good things about language learning is you can convert a what would be otherwise an unproductive time into one. I also um, took up Chinese at the start of um, well maybe a bit just before as well like you Esther and um, I find I found learning Chinese to be quite relaxing in that I could come back to it every day and I could measure my progress and the only thing holding me back was myself. At, also, at that time, I was just doing flashcards as well. I hadn't started with any of the reading sentences or conversation. So um, I think it can be really relaxing because it's very measurable. You know how much progress you've made every day. But it was only later when I started reading uh, novels that I encountered difficulty. I think that's really interesting that you said that about the flashcards because these days they're maybe more of a burden for me as it were but I can I get <laughs> what you mean about I, I really resonate with what you said about kind of it being relaxing it one of the things that maybe one of the reasons I think that I got so into it and enjoyed it so much is because it felt so different from because it is quite a different hobby in a way it feels like your brain is able to just completely focus on something that has nothing to do with your day job or at least in my case and <laughs> um, has nothing to do with your day job or um, I don't know uh, people around you potentially so I guess in that sense it felt like a nice novelty and actually it's funny that you said about the reading books was kind of when you encountered the first difficulty and I guess I've had that as well but I find that I really enjoyed that kind of I started with immersion and I really enjoyed the early stages of that because it's so satisfying to see your progress when you think, oh, I, I can understand something now that I couldn't before. Uh, and actually, my biggest shock has come when I've actually started to then try and speak <laughs> and convert <laughs> it into output has been really, has required a lot more resilience than pure immersion. I'm still kind of working my way around that, really. One aspect in general that I can relate to in terms of something that you said, Carl, um, in terms of flashcards, and measuring progress. It reminded me that like one of the main reasons that I got into Chinese in the first place was kind of similar to the reason that I got into running, which was my major hobby before I discovered Chinese. And what that gave me was like a sense of control because it's one of those things where the more time you put in, the more training you put in, you can predict basically quite accurately how your times will come down as you're training for like different race races of different lengths and that kind of thing. And that's something I definitely found with Chinese that gave that sense of control 
that you basically get to choose how much effort you're going to put in and how much you're going to get out. I think I'm not alone in sort of feeling at, at the point when I began learning Chinese, I did have a sense that there were a lot of other areas of my life where I didn't have that aspect of control. Sort of like career, for example, where I didn't feel like it was a case of the more effort you put in, the more the more you're progressing your career. It just wasn't that linear. And so having something like that was really important for me and something that was provided to me both by running first and then later on by Chinese. Yeah, and I think that with Chinese or with any other language learning, you can go all in without many negative repercussions. Yeah, that is actually one of the main reasons. Well, not the main reasons, but it's a factor in why I got into Chinese because that's why my previous hobby of like running that previously gave me that sense of control ended was because of too many niggling injuries and that kind of thing. And like you say, that was one thing that was completely absent from Chinese. You can't get injured by learning Chinese, or at least physically <laughs> yeah, anyway. Definitely. We might talk later about <laughs> psychological injury, but yeah. <laughs> you can definitely get psychologically damaged. <laughs> I guess that's what the second half of the podcast is. Well, that's a good segue, right? <laughs> we can maybe start talking a bit more about that. So in terms of the psychological strain of learning Chinese when you're doing it intensively is something that we can all relate to. And I think uh, it's good to talk about this because there are a lot of things that I wish I would have known when I first started, if we can put it that way, in terms of pitfalls, psychological pitfalls that are worth being aware of in order to try and like deal with them better than maybe I did at different stages. And so that's why I wanted to sort of bring this up. But I thought what we could do is sort of discuss it in terms of different triggers that have at different points in our language learning caused us to feel psychological strain or to get stressed through throughout the language learning process because it's it's not like sometimes it can be made out to be by polyglots online or whichever content makers people are watching as like that language learning is all about like fun and joy and a lot of it should be like that should be a very large component but the reality is that if the more seriously you take it the more likely you are to come up against certain stresses that, that everybody has to face certain stressful situations and experiences that everybody faces when language learning. So the first trigger that I wanted to discuss as a general like area that can often be a trigger for psychological stress for a lot of people is the moments when you feel like it's like you're doing really well, like you're maybe you've maybe made some progress, like whatever level you're at, like this can be a beginner level or a lower intermediate level or whatever, making lots of progress with your listening, with your reading, for example. And you think things are going well and then you come across some reading or some listening a section that it just feels like impossible and makes you feel like have i actually made any progress like have I, do i actually know any chinese like i still have some moments like that now like even now like five years into learning chinese where like for example if i switch on the news depending on what it's on it can feel like is this actually a language I know at all? <laughs> I think it's something that affects, as I say, learners of all levels. So I was wondering if either of you have any kind of stories around this to share. Yeah, so when I first last started learning Chinese, I went at it quite hard and I was doing flashcards for several hours a day. And there were some points where I learned a hundred words in a day. And we all know that that's not a sustainable rate of learning words. It'd be better if it was like 10 to 20 new words per day. But um, so I looked up online, how many words do you need to know to be able to understand a language? And most of the guides said, well, if you get to around a thousand words, then you'll know about 20, uh, uh, 90% of all written material, depending on the context. So I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. 
Um, so I got to just a, I got to a thousand words just flashcards alone, no other methods, and that was end of HSK three, maybe starting on HSK four. So I thought that that was pretty good, and then I turned on the Chinese TV, some Chinese dramas, and I couldn't understand anything at all. And I thought, well, okay, maybe it's because they're speaking too fast or something. And then I started learning do. I started using Do Chinese, the、uh, graded reader app, and I started on the very most basic stories that it contained. And even those were a massive challenge. I mean, even though I could understand every single word in the sentence, the meaning of the entire sentence was just gibberish to me. Because I hadn't picked up grammar yet, and it took a good few, maybe two or three months of persevering with that to be able to actually put together the meaning of stories and sentences, even at the most very basic level. So yeah, I can、um, I can definitely relate to that as well. One of the things that I found interesting is just how small the things are that can make you feel really bad by yourself, really good about yourself, and how. So sometimes I look back and I think, oh. Oh, that month was I was kind of struggling, but actually, I I find that the real fluctuations tend to happen on a much more micro level. Like I might listen to something in the morning, and actually I can understand a lot of it, and I'll feel really great about myself. Or like you know, when someone sends you a message in Chinese something, you're like, oh my god, I understood that. Um, and then like. In the afternoon, I'd signed up for this free service that sends you like a little Chinese story every day, and they said, "Here's our beginners, like it's aimed at beginners, the one I'd signed up for." And I couldn't understand a single word really. And then you think, "Oh gosh, how can I, how can I still not understand that?" So I've been surprised at how much it fluctuates. If I had any advice to add, it would be to kind of, if you are, if you do have one of these moments where you don't understand something or whatever, and you feel really bad about it. I sometimes just then focus on something really easy that I know I understand as a kind of almost like comfort watching or comfort listening or whatever you want to call it, because、um, mm. I know that I know that content and I I can still enjoy it and then it, I guess it kind of boosts you up again a little bit ready for the next challenge of the next encounter.、Um, yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. That this often happens on the micro day to day, not just day to day level, but moment to moment level, because particularly at, a, at an earlier level. When I got to a place where I was able to more or less start having conversations with Chinese people, what often used to happen was, I'd feel really good because、um, they'd said a few things that I really understood, and then it would always come a moment where they just said something and it was complete gibberish, and then I'd be <laughs> like, "Oh, I thought I, I thought I'd made it," <laughs> and and I hadn't. I think it's really interesting when you discover those situations, actually, because then that tells you what you don't understand and what you need to work on harder.、Mm. Well, that's a very healthy attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd had that attitude when yeah,、exactly. I faced those moments. I think it's a fun topic to talk about because I think all language learners probably recognise this on some level, right? Like we all have those ups and downs,、um, mm. and yeah, if you can. Adopt that kind of mindset that you were talking about, Carl, about seeing everything as、um, kind of a positive learning interaction. Then you're onto a winner, really. <laughs> I haven't managed it myself. <laughs> but,、um, yeah, it does make me wonder. I know we kind of discussed this once before about different kind of personality types and like whether、uh, whether people that are very successful at learning a language to a really high level, whether they tend to be people that are maybe more resilient or not. But I think Misha, you had a kind of different opinion on that, didn't you?、Um, Yeah, it's it's tough to say. I mean, like, I think 
that to some degree, I think the language learners that like tend to pursue uh, like one language to a super, super high level often have aspects of their personality, which are slightly more neurotic and where like, I think it, for example, there are certain problems in language learning that I think just won't fix themselves. So if you want to fix them, you actually have to really care about them and be bothered that they exist. And one example is like certain as like aspects of pronunciation are a good example of that. They don't just like come to come to you naturally. Like you have to learn not just that they exist, but you have to pay some focused attention to them. And I went through a long period where I, I kind of had the attitude that I didn't care about tones and that was kind of a, a disaster. But I think that like in order for me to like reverse that situation and then get good at tones, it, it, I needed to like really care and I needed to like my brain needed to be convinced that this was really like something that mattered in a in a in a, like a deep sense and that like when i made mistakes that was an issue and so i wouldn't make them again and that kind of thing and i i guess like the experience that i went through was at many times like quite a psychologically stressful one but i'm not completely sure that like i would have continued to like try and get really good at tones and go through that whole process if i was like less of less neurotic and if i was someone who just <laughs> didn't really think that it cared it mattered that much if i made the odd mistake which in many senses would probably be like a healthier mindset but maybe one that just wasn't as ideal in terms of reaching a really high level yeah uh, we've spoken before about the fact that when you first start learning chinese tones are a whole nother dimension to language that you can't even perceive yet it's like a colorblind artist learning to paint with color mm. so what what you can't do is just ask people how good your tones are because they'll just give you a polite response. <laughs> so the only real verifiable way of doing it would be to make a recording and then have someone else ask someone else how good is it without giving the impression that it came from you. Definitely. As a I like that as a way to outsmart the, the politeness. <laughs> make it from a stranger. <laughs> well, that kind of brings us nicely on to like, another trigger point and that is comments from other people so when people make judgments about your language level or about aspects of your chinese and that kind of and, and the kind of effect that that has and we i've talked about this on my podcast before in terms of that overwhelmingly most of the comments that everybody receives from native speakers about your chinese are are positive and because i've had so many different encounters with chinese people of course not everybody is the same and once in a while you'll meet someone who is a little bit more brutally honest than the average. And it, I guess th that contrast is something that's had a major effect on me in terms of my learning, learning Chinese. Because I remember one case in particular, where I've been learning for four years, and this was about like just under a year ago now, so not actually that long ago. And basically I was like, it was in my weekly, our weekly um, language exchange meetup on Zoom. And on that particular week, there was, there weren't very many people present. There was just me, my friend who has phenomenal Chinese and a new member who had never attended the event before who was Chinese. And we did some introductions in Chinese and that was the first thing we did. So my friend said something in Chinese to introduce himself. I said something in Chinese to introduce myself. The Chinese woman who was new to the, the meeting, it was her first time, suddenly just very directly said, hmm, when I listen to Mikai speak Chinese, I have the sense that I'm listening to a really like classical foreign accent. 
with the tones all over the place and she didn't like mince her words at all <laughs> and where and she said when i listen to uh, mika's friend uh speaking chinese i feel almost like i'm speaking to a native speaker and and i was just like really crushed because <laughs> no one had ever said that about my tones before no one had ever like been so brutally honest about how bad they were and she was completely right actually it was just the contrast between that feedback and everything else i'd been receiving from tutors from other friends who were very nice and polite and that kind of um really affected me initially negatively but then it kind of spurred me on to do something really do something about it it's kind of that paradox that we were talking about earlier have any either of you sort of had similar experiences at all i think i'm really lucky in that my very first teacher who i met before I joined the course was very honest with me. I She asked me to read some stuff out loud and she said, God, um, you're twisting the tones. Every time you say a tone, you twist it and I can't really understand anything you're saying. So maybe I was lucky that the first person that I met was very honest. Uh, so it set my expectations very low. I think the knock-on effect though was that then when I joined the, the group calls, I was quite shy about speaking because I, I felt like, like my teacher had told me what was wrong but hadn't necessarily told me how to fix it i remember you said you had a teacher who was like so you said to your teacher on in the first class i think i have a problem with like second tone and then your teacher responded and oh, yeah. third tone <laughs> and fourth tone and first tone yes. and neutral tone <laughs> is this the same teacher exactly yes you just listened to it was that was definitely something that i'll um yeah. <laughs> remember forever <yeah. laughs> But do you think it was helpful, Esther, that she was so honest? I think uh, on balance it definitely was, but I guess, yeah, I didn't have... Unfortunately, she had to stop teaching. I'm sure she would have helped me fix it otherwise, but um, I think it just left me in a bit of a weird position where I'd been told that I was really bad, but I didn't have the tools to fix it. So. Yeah, so I, my wife is Chinese, actually, and I also have a Chinese mother-in-law. And um, I first met my Chinese mother-in-law about a year ago. But um, before that time, everyone that I had spoken Chinese to was kind of the same age as me. And they were an international student living in the UK. So they'd had a lot of exposure to English people learning Chinese and very forgiving with tones and things like that. So I didn't know that I had a lot of problem with problems with tones. And uh, when I first met my Chinese mother-in-law, it was kind of a big shock to me because she comes from a bit more of a rural area in China and she hasn't had that much interaction with foreigners outside of China. So if you make an error in your tones, she just won't understand. <laughs> and it's not that she's rude or anything, but it's just uh, very shocking. It was a very big shock to me at first that I had to make sure that every single tone in a sentence was right, otherwise she just wouldn't understand, um, which was quite a bit difficult at first, but it has really helped me to work on my tones and improve them. I think that's like a recurring theme for a lot of people, where like you get to a certain level of Chinese and you've been working really hard on whatever it is, characters, everything else, and for most people probably don't take tones as seriously as they should and then you, you a lot of people just have this kind of experience where something makes them realize oh so i kind of have to go back and memorize every single tone for every single word that i've learned okay <laughs> i think that point for me misha was when you made me take the pleco test <laughs> the pleco tone test and yeah. i only got 40 percent and i thought that i was actually better than that 
So now I've gone over all of my tones again up to a three level. Yeah, so everyone should take this test. Basically, what it is is on Pleco, you can, um, if you add on the flashcards feature, and there is a, a feature on that that allows you to test your knowledge of tones. Whatever HSK level you're up to, whatever flashcards are in your vocabulary, it will test you on them and it will ask you what the tones are and you have to try and remember them. And if your tones are good, you should basically be able to do that because you should be able to like re either replay it in your head and get the tones right. Or And it's often like quite shocking to people how poorly they, they actually tend to do on that test. But there's no reason why people shouldn't be scoring like uh, 99 to 100% on that test if, if they uh, put the work in with tones. So anyway, but, that, but yeah, that's something that uh, definitely shocked me when I first took that test as well. I think one of the good things about having an environment though where you do get honest feedback is that then the praise is meaningful as well. Like, because um, mm. I know you said it's not that you felt, oh, you know, I think your tones have improved in isolation or um, when you say them in isolation, um, whereas before I was even struggling with that. And then that actually then means something because you've got something to baseline it against. So. Mm. Uh, yeah, I do think from teachers and friends, honesty is, is often the most helpful thing. Um, and I guess it sounds like where you kind of struggled is because honesty is actually not normally the reaction that you exactly. get. The exactly. first time that you got the criticism, it felt way worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's the contrast that's the problem. Yeah. It's that the honesty isn't, isn't the consistent experience that you have when you're learning Chinese. The, the most consistent experience is just being told, regardless of whatever you say, that your Chinese is awesome. And so you don't, then when you get the truth, it's, it's that contrast that can be the most psychologically stressful. But I would say about that experience I had personally, where I was in a very sudden and brutal way made aware of how bad my tones were, that it was the worst experience that I've had while learning Chinese psychologically, but also probably the best experience in the long run, because the person that made me aware of that, we then began working together every day after that, helping each other. I would help her with her English pronunciation. We'd do a call for half an hour and then she'd help me with tones for half an hour and correct me on every mistake. And that was really, really helpful. So in the end, it was overall a positive experience, just quite brutal and psychologically stressful in that moment. Would you have any advice to, I guess, I'm wondering what we would tell people if they were starting out. I mean, I guess the obvious advice is pay attention to things like tones from the start. But yeah, is there anything that you think that could help prepare people for the wide range of reactions that you might get? <laughs> from native it's, speakers? A diff it's, it's a difficult one, because I think that like the uh, the best advice is obviously focus on tones from the start but everybody says that and then when i used to hear that like i it just used to make me feel depressed because i hadn't done that and i felt like there was so, like there was nothing i could do about it now because all of the advice was well, you should have done it from the start and if you didn't well tough luck but what i what i would say is that like i think it would help people accept that their tones are terrible and they should do something about it if they realize that actually it's it's not as bad as you think like uh, going back and relearning tones is isn't quite the the challenge that people think it is in some ways it's easier than than you think it will be and you'll once you start establishing certain habits like you were mentioning esther getting really used to tone pairs reciting them on a daily basis and really getting a feel for them then you can start quite easily attaching your, your the vocabulary that you know to the tone pairs that you have a really strong 
feel for. And so I found quite quickly that my my tones, when I started focusing on, on them daily and making sure that my tutor was correcting me on everything and really going back and making sure I paid attention when reviewing flashcards and, and doing everything I could to reinforce them in that way, listening out for them in my listening and um, all of that kind of stuff that like, actually my improvement happened very rapidly and and that it it wasn't this issue of fossilization that like a lot of people are afraid of didn't materialize that like i was able to change habits that were quite deeply ingrained because i'd been speaking without tones for four years but just not as bad as people made out it would be so i would say for people in that situation that like for whom the advice do this from the beginning is kind of useless. I would say it will soften the blow to kind of see that it's actually not maybe as difficult as you think it might be. Yeah, and I also think that it doesn't just apply to tones as well. You can go back on other areas later on, like grammar as well, and correct it if your grammar is bad. Um, fossilization isn't really a thing and it won't really hold you back. And it's also okay to go switch between different areas concentrate on flashcards for a few weeks you might concentrate on reading for a few weeks and then listening for a few weeks you don't need to be worried that you're going to lose your skill in that area because you haven't studied it for a while when you're learning a language it actually persists in your brain for quite a while so the decay rate is quite slow that's a really good point something i think we should dwell on a little bit more is as a kind of psychological psychological coping mechanism, taking breaks, I've found, can be a really useful thing. One of the really positive things about language learning is that, like, once you've done a certain amount of immersion, you know, after I've, I'd been reading graded readers for a few months, not not like for crazy amounts of time every day, maybe like half an hour a day or something, I found that, like, there was a period when I kind of decided to take a break because I wasn't enjoying it that much and had other things going on. And I was really worried that then when I came back a couple of months later that I wouldn't remember anything. And actually I found at that point that it almost didn't make any difference at all. And that when I came back, like I remembered within a week, I was back to my previous level. And that's happened a couple of times in uh, since then as well, where I've taken breaks up to like three or four months. At one point during the pandemic, I took a, I took a break of about that length. I remember one in particular where it was the summer of the pandemic, the first summer of the pandemic, where I hadn't, I'd had like burnout because I'd been going at it really crazily over the pandemic, like kind of eight hour days at some points. And then like I reached a point where I just wasn't enjoying it, had burnout and couldn't touch any more Chinese, didn't want to look at any more Chinese or listen to any more Chinese. So I took a break, came back four months later, the hot, had the whole summer off. And then I had like, a, I remember having a class with my teacher um, in September around that time. And my Chinese was absolutely terrible. And my, um, my Chinese teacher was very direct with me about that. She said, it's such a shame. Your Chinese is awful compared to what it was before. But I started reading again. I started listening again. And within one week, one week later, I had another class with my Chinese tutor. And I think I was better than I'd ever been previously. So I think that's one of the really important things to say that breaks can be a good thing and they're definitely not detrimental, but this is assuming you've had a certain amount of immersion prior, prior to the break. I think breaks are a really interesting topic and I, well, I get a lot of comfort from what you said about being able to kind of come back if you've done a certain level of immersion. 
that was one of my fears before because I know that inevitably inevitably it's gonna happen at some point right that I'm not going to be able to study for a week and then it will become two weeks and then the psychological effect of that is that it then becomes harder and harder to get back into it and it's nice to know that you don't necessarily lose everything so I think that's I've actually saved the blog that <laughs> I saved that for when I need it <laughs> I'll read that. Um, but I do think it's interesting I personally don't think I've reached the burnout stage yet I'm sure I will soon um, I saw recently on Twitter with someone that asked a question about so it was something along the lines of do you take a day off ever and and is that a good thing or not and I think the overwhelming majority of people were like oh yeah it's definitely a good thing and I do it as well and but I was interested I think I saw a tweet from is it Langaholic who you've had on the podcast as well yeah. and he I was interesting because they said oh actually I enjoy language learning so much that even if I'm like if I'm having a bad day or I'm feeling ill or whatever, that's actually when I'll probably do the most. And One thing I would say is there are ways that you can avoid burnout. So like the way I was talking about it earlier, that I had several stages of burnout, but there's absolutely nothing inevitable about that. And so I think one of the main things to avoid that I didn't was feeling the need to read things that I wasn't interested in. Like I had this feeling when I was at like an early intermediate stage of learning Chinese, when I could start reading native articles that I needed to read native articles on a whole variety of loads of different topics like finance, like economics, stuff I'm just not interested in in English and would make no sense for me to read in Chinese. But I just had this feeling that I needed to understand everything. And then that was one of the major, major causes of the burnout. So I think if you can really stick to reading material that that is at your level, that's appropriate, that you're really enjoying, then keep doing that and never feel tempted to start like reading stuff that you're not into. That's good advice. Yeah, I think it's a, it's, um, as cheesy as it sounds, I guess it's a long term game, isn't it? It's like a marathon, not a sprint. So you need to make it as enjoyable for yourself as you can, really. Um... It's something I, I've learned more and more because I often feel pressure to do things in Chinese that I don't necessarily really want to do that much. Like, for example, I hear so many people talk about how many novels they've read and they like list a figure and they have challenges where they'll read a certain number of novels every week. It sounds crazy the number of novels they read. I, They read more novels in a week, apparently, in, in Chinese or in foreign languages than I've ever read in English. And I, I've never been much of a bookworm, uh, read that many novels in English. So I've kind of, I have read quite a few novels now in Chinese, but... I've kind of moved away from that just because there are other things I enjoy doing more. And sometimes I feel when I'm reading a novel that I'm only actually doing this because I feel I should be. Whereas I think you should do it if it's something that you really want to do. And that's the healthiest way to approach it. Yeah, for me, it's flashcards. So if I'm ever feeling overwhelmed, then I just go back to doing flashcards and cut out everything else. <laughs> and that's just because I find them very systematic and you can measure your progress and there's no... Um, huge stumbling blocks that you'll discover and for other people that might be different so other people might find um, watching drama relaxing or listening to content more relaxing and that's fine you can just oh it's, it's such a good point about it's, it is really different for everyone isn't it and like it's funny I feel like we're kind of we have opposite experiences because for me the flashcards are the kind of boring parts so I, I that's my chore like I do that early in the day <laughs> as, and then as like a treat I can, <laughs> I can listen 
to an audiobook or something afterwards. And but it sounds like you're getting a lot I'm, of joy. I'm totally with you on that, Esther. <laughs> I can't stand flashcards, <laughs> but I know I have to do them, or I should. But if there's one uh, part of language learning that I would suggest do doing against your will, it's flashcards because they are beneficial in a way that like. Even if you don't, even if you don't want to do it, obviously, if it's going to cause you burnout and, and all of that kind of and loads of psychological stress, then then don't do it. But I think uh, spending setting aside a little bit of time every day for flashcards is is a really positive thing because um, I found that like it was really difficult to acquire uh, enough characters to become literate without them. So that's kind of the one uh, kind of minor small amount of stress that I will allow into my life now through <laughs> in terms of learning Chinese that. I will do flashcards every day. I wanted to move on to the final trigger uh, that Esther, you had uh, some points that you wanted to make. I thought it might be an interesting one to discuss because it's maybe not what I'd expected. So in as much as I did expect anything from language learning, I guess you'd kind of expect really the things that we've kind of talked about, about how you'll have days where you feel like you're not making any progress and that kind of thing. What I hadn't expected was that at least so far that I would enjoy it to the extent that it becomes a really really big part of my life and almost to the extent that it's then made me rethink am I in the right career or how I mean maybe I guess I am talking at the extreme end of the spectrum now I know I know a lot of learners have a lot healthier kind of outlook <laughs> on, on life but I guess maybe you guys because you've done intensive learning as well you can kind of empathize with when you've got a full-time job and um, you you know it's not like you're 18 and could go to university to study Chinese full-time you're having to kind of fit it in around the rest of your life and that's fine if you're kind of studying at the level of like oh I do a bit of Duolingo every day and I do that this and I really and when it's just purely about the enjoyment but when you're really like keen to put in that intensive effort I'd, yeah I guess I guess what I'm trying to say in a very long way is that I hadn't expected it to become such a big part of my life and sometimes it made me then think, almost like resent the time that I was having to spend on other things mm -hmm. and I don't know, I've caught myself in that, myself thinking that recently, I kind of want to push against that a bit and like I've tried to like reframe it recently and be more positive about it and just be really grateful about the time that I do have to spend on it because I have, you know, a fair amount of time every day um and kind of connected to this point i guess it it made me realize that especially when you're doing a lot of immersion which i was until recently i found like a weirdly um it can be a bit of a lonely experience as well because now that i've switched to doing output i've made loads of new friends and i'm really enjoying using some of the apps that you can use to like meet new people um but when you're just doing pure immersion if you're like you're, I was, you know, cooking with my headphones on all day, um, and then like me and my husband, I like, watch television in the evening, and I would sneakily be have like one eye on the television, one eye on my flashcards, <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, I felt a bit so because like we're watching something like really exciting, and then I'm just there distracted by the flashcards, and sometimes I even forget that I've got the volume. I think I've got the volume switched off, so I think I'm getting away with it. And something really exciting is about to happen on television, and then my phone will be like, Fady! <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I, I really love it. Like, my, like, fortunately, like, 
like my other half just thinks it's really funny and he's really supportive and I'm really grateful for that but I guess it made me reflect that like I guess you could take it too far can you you could become the kind of person that's just so obsessively into the language learning that you forget about any other hobbies or other I think you're describing me <laughs> <laughs> well I think that it's different for me because my wife is Chinese um, so for both of you you've got a real imperative to learn like you might have uh, you want you might want to get to certain stages within a certain amount of time for certain events but um, assuming that I'm going to be married to my wife for the rest of my life which I hope is the case um, <laughs> that means that I've got the rest of my life to learn Chinese and there will always be something there that will learn and I can just take it at my own pace and kind of take a break for a bit but I can always come back to it. I think that's been a really good discussion so basically we covered loads of different topics and hopefully our listeners will have found plenty in there that they can relate to and hopefully will have taken some solace from and maybe even learned some tips um, as well. One thing I was going to just add before we end is that like I kind of feel I don't know if you two agree that like um, when we do our zoom call which is language exchange zoom call takes place on 1pm UK time every Sunday, uh, it kind of feels sometimes like a bit of a, a therapy session where we can all come together and talk about these themes, what, what our language learning has been like that week and it, obstacles that we faced and we can help each other out in that kind of sense. And there's no pressure for anyone to speak Chinese if they don't want to in the Chinese half of the session. Um, but there's also the opportunity to get feedback as well on your tones and other things and, um, and to speak as much as you want, if that is what you want. So once again, thank you, Esther and Carl, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Good to join you today. Yeah, thanks. It's been fun. So that's it for this week's episode of the I'm Learning Mandarin podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or imlearningmandarin.com to have new blogs and podcasts pinged straight to your email. You can also join our Facebook group where we post links to our weekly Sunday language exchange group chat. That's on facebook.com slash groups slash I'm learning Mandarin all one word. So we'll be back in two weeks time. And until then, goodbye.